Aren't you glad that God has been faithful? Even as uh, Jeremiah walked through the destroyed, uh, the ruins of the city of Jerusalem after the Babylonians had come and uh, taken the final phase of that captivity back to Babylon and had burned, destroyed, burned the temple, had uh, torn down the walls, burned the gates with fire. Uh, It was in that context that uh, Jeremiah, for about three months after, walked through the, the, the desolated streets of Jerusalem and gave testimony in the book of Lamentations to what he saw. And in the midst of it, he could still say to the Lord, great is thy faithfulness. Amen. Thy mercies are new every morning. And aren't you glad his compassions fail not? Yes. Praise the Lord for those assurances. Uh, Ruth chapter number one, and I'll not read the entire book like I did last Sunday night. Um, I, if I had the voice like Alexander Scorby, maybe, uh, but I don't. So we'll just uh, tonight look at the first uh, five verses of Ruth chapter 1 and uh, look at our second message in this series of the book of Ruth. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Uh, Somebody just tell me what were the the two characteristics of the nation of Israel for that 300 year period of time when the judges ruled. Two things characterized the days of the judges. Every man did what? Which was right in his own eyes and there was no what? No king in Israel. Okay, two characteristics that uh, resulted in or contributed to the apostasy, that, those six downward spirals of apostasy that characterized the nation of Israel, as every man did that which was right in his own eyes, and there was no king in Israel. So it's the days when the judges ruled that the book of Ruth takes place, the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. Notice this, that there was a famine in the land, both a spiritual famine and I would say a physical famine. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. The word sojourn is the idea of just going to be a guest for a little while. They weren't going to stay long. It wasn't their intention. He and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife, Naomi. The name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And then a sad statement, and she was left. And her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there. Did you notice that decline? They went to sojourn. They continued there. They dwelled there. About ten years. And Malon and Kilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Let's pray. Fathers, we look into your word this evening and move through section by section and scene by scene through the book of Ruth over the coming Sunday evenings. I pray that we would be reminded as we have given the theme to this series, look what grace can do. Look what your grace can do, your supernatural provision for whatever need that we have. Look at what your grace can do. Lord, as we consider this in a unique perspective tonight in these first five verses. I pray for help. I pray for a challenge, especially, Lord, in the lives of young people that are here. My heart particularly is burdened for them. The fact that as far as we can see from a human perspective, they have their whole lives in front of them. And I pray that they would learn the important lesson this evening of availing themselves of the grace of God, taking advantage of the grace of God that is abundantly available for them. 
and that they would never go, that they would determine because of the grace of God, never go to the Moabs of this world, never to go to the far country of Luke chapter number 16. God, would you please give help and strength and give us a, a grander view of your grace tonight. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I would title this message tonight, An Ounce of Prevention. How does that line finish? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. An ounce of prevention. Last week when we introduced this series, I told you that from my biased perspective, I call Ruth the best little book in the Old Testament. And one of the reasons that I do that is because it fills in the gaps in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ in particular. And we saw that in the last few verses of the book. Also, another beautiful aspect about this brief book in the Old Testament is that it shows us the heart of God for the Gentiles. And even little editorial cues that were given as far as explanation of Israelite customs with the implication that it was understood by the Spirit of God. He knew that Gentiles would be reading this and he wanted to give some explanation. And so the heart of God for the Gentiles... But this book also is a tremendous little book in the Old Testament because it shows us that by God's grace, godliness is possible even in the worst of times. As we look at the family of Boaz and Ruth in particular and their legacy, we see that godliness is possible. And what a challenge and encouragement that is to us living in the days in which we live, that it is possible by the grace of God. My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and it is possible to raise a godly family in a wicked time. Another reason that this book is so precious is because it gives to us an early Old Testament picture of a Jewish groom taking a Gentile bride. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jewish great bridegroom, would take to himself and is in the process of taking to himself a Gentile bride, the church. Another beautiful aspect, a fifth that we considered about this wonderful little book in the Old Testament is that it is what it is because it showcases grace. For as small as it is, this little book carries a power-packed demonstration of the grace of God, both as it relates to God's grace to Naomi in her repentance, as it relates to the riches of grace illustrated by the kinsman redeemer Boaz in the life of Ruth, and then as it illustrates the grace of redemption in how he is her kinsman redeemer, redeemer bought the land, bought Naomi, if you would, and then bought Ruth to be his bride. And so what a wonderful little book it is. But I asked the question here at the outset, is that all grace can do? Is that all, right? Is that all grace can do? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And uh, you, you know, sometimes a, a series of books will be written or maybe even some movies. And after they've been done, been produced, been seen for a while or been read for a while, then the author will get the brilliant idea to write a prequel, he calls it. To go back and look at things that... Uh, in his storyline, happened before the main story that he wrote about at the first. And as we think about that, and we think about some choices that Elimelech and uh, Naomi made, I want us to consider another aspect of grace, and that is the grace of prevention. Now, some of this is by implication, but I want you to think about the importance of prevention. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Think about the importance of 
uh, prevention or preventative maintenance on your vehicle. Or medical, in your medical uh, considerations, your health, the importance of prevention. You know, pain is good sometimes. I've heard people say pain was a part of the curse. Pain was multiplied. This is for another day, another conversation. But I personally believe that pain may have been a part of the original creation because there are good aspects to pain. It's really quiet. <laughs> All right. Think about the fact you put your hand on a hot burner and your nerves say, don't do that. Okay. There's prevention. I think about the importance of an ounce of prevention in your relationships. Uh, Guys, if you forget birthdays and anniversaries of your wife, how does that bode if you do that several years running? Okay. doesn't go over very well. Think about the ounce of prevention when it comes to your dental health. House maintenance. You know, if you just let that leak in your roof keep going, it's eventually going to cause thousands of dollars more damage than you anticipated. Think about maintenance on a road. We have a paved road going up to our house, and our neighbor, and I'm very grateful for this, First of all, before we ever moved into the neighborhood, the neighbors all decided they didn't want to do HOA fees. And the thought would be, well, that means the road is just going to turn into a bunch of potholes. But we have a neighbor that works for the town of Tryon. And every once in a while, when there's a pothole develops in our road, he waits till they have some extra asphalt. He comes and fills in that pothole. And all of us are very grateful for that because if the pothole doesn't fill, it causes dental problems. I want to make this application to young people this evening as we think about the preventative power of grace. Think about young people in this church that trusted Christ as Savior early. And it's easy for young people growing up in Christian homes uh, to hear the dramatic testimony of people who were rescued by the grace of God after years of sin. I want you to understand tonight, young people, that the grace of God that rescues a Naomi, okay, is no better, it is no less grace than the grace of God that could have prevented her or would have prevented her from going to Moab in the first place. Young people, as it applies to your life, you may hear dramatic testimony. And I remember, I was saved at five years of age, and I remember hearing testimonies about people just being saved. I mean, the only bars I was ever guilty of being behind was my playpen. And the only bottle I was ever guilty of drinking was my milk bottle, okay? And it's easy for us to say, man, there wasn't a lot of... I want you to understand it was the same grace, the same abundant grace in your life. And I want you to notice this too. Folks in this room, and I'm not speaking presumptuously, folks in this room who were rescued by grace out of the, the, the depths of sin. By the way, all of us were rescued by grace out of the depths of sin. Sinners by nature. okay. But many people, they made wrong choices. Maybe they didn't hear about Christ until later in life. Didn't get saved until their adult years. And if each of them could stand up here tonight, young people, I want you to know something. If each of them could stand up there, they, they would tell you, don't make the choices that I did. Avail yourselves of the grace of God that is the ounce of prevention. Okay. I'm glad that the grace of God is the pound of cure. Okay, I'm glad for that. And many of you in this room, if it wasn't for that pound of cure, where would I be? Okay. 
But here's what I want us to think about tonight. I want us to think about the importance of this ounce of prevention. Have you ever looked back and thought where you might have been if somebody in your past and your ancestry had made a different choice? Have you ever thought that? I didn't know this till a few years ago. My mother told me that when my grandma Tate from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, was in high school, she dated the son of the chairman of the board of BB&T. And he did something one day, and they were heading towards marriage. And he did something one day that was ungentlemanly. I don't even know the names, okay? But she, he did something one day that was ungentlemanly, and she said, you know what? I don't care how rich a guy is, I'm not going to be married to a man like that. And she broke it off. Mom told me about that. You know the thought crosses your mind. Where would we be if? You know what? I want you to know, if my grandma had married another man instead of my grandpa Tate, my mama wouldn't have been and I wouldn't have been. So it's really a question's not worth asking, okay? But I want us to think about this as it relates to Elimelech, Naomi, and this theme of the grace of God. Think about this. How do Elimelech and Naomi, Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, and Naomi, a woman whose name means pleasantness, living in Bethlehem, Judah, a place that means house of bread and praise, and they're Ephrathites, that is, they are direct descendants from Ephrathah, who was the second wife of Caleb, and on down it goes. These were the original settlers of Bethlehem under Jewish dominion. Okay, these weren't people that had moved into town after. There was about 800 years of history, as I understand this. So these were the, they were Ephrathites. The word Ephrathite means fruitful. How do Elimelech, my God is king, and Naomi, pleasantness, living in Bethlehem, of, of Judah, house of bread and praise as Ephrathites, fruitful people, direct descendants of the original founders of the city, who, as you look at the bigger picture of the scriptures, were the, the kingly line as the descendants of Judah. It was through their seed that the king was to come. How do they name their sons, Malon and Kilion? Malon, which means sickly. And Kilion, which means pining, literally longing after something more. Now you understand in the Bible times, people named their children what they did for a reason. They named their children because it was an expression of their perspective. Think about um, Rachel naming Joseph what she did. It means added to. Okay, and you, you think about Meher Shalal Hashbaz and Shear Jeshub, the sons of Isaiah, and their names were prophetic of the coming judgment of God to the people of Israel. And so more than we do nowadays, people name their kids with a significance, uh, in the, name their kids in the Old Testament with a significance. That name was an expression of their view, their perspective. My God is king and pleasantness, living in the house of bread and praise, as fruitful people, descendants, if you would, of the kingly line and ancestors in the kingly line, somehow or another in their perspective, name their boys sickly and longing for more. It's in a time of famine. And they make the choice to go to Moab. Was there no grace to prevent that or to provide for them? 
to stay the heartbreaking consequences that they would experience? As I look at Elimelech and Naomi, and I've heard common traders try and justify them, and the more I study this, I have a hard time doing that. Now, we also need to be looking in a spiritual mirror, and that's what I want us to do tonight, the remainder of our time. There's both some warnings here and some motivation. As I look at, first of all, the the naming of these sons, I'm struck by the fact that it is apparent that that Elimelech and Naomi were marked by or characterized by a spirit of pessimism. Even in a difficult time, I want you to understand there is hope, there is grace. Okay, Even in a time of famine. They were marked by a negative spirit, a critical spirit. And the names of their sons are indicative of that perspective. It's indicative of their attitudes. And a warning for us is that they had lost sight of the grace of God and His sovereignty and His goodness. He's in complete control all the time and He's always good in the exercise of that control. And so they had lost sight of the grace of God and His sovereignty and His goodness, apparently, and they gave in to a spirit of pessimism. I was thinking about Psalm chapter 27 and verses 13 and 14. The psalmist said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see. Think about that. Unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Is it easy to see with the physical eye all the time? No. But with the eye of faith, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Okay. And we're going to talk a little bit more in a moment about the significance of the famine and uh, the perspective that they should have had with that. I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, the psalmist said in verse 14. Be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And so, as we think about what grace was available for them that they lost sight of, they lost sight of the grace of the sovereignty, of the grace of God and His sovereignty and His goodness, and gave into a spirit of pessimism, and that was evidenced in the naming of their sons, Malon and Kilion. How would you like to have grown up with that name? Mama, why'd you name me weakly, sickly, pining, longing for more? Can I just say this? I, listen, we got trials like everybody else, but God's people, because of the hope and the assurance that we have, even in the most difficult of times, God's people should have the greatest certainty and the greatest hope in our spirit. Okay. And I think we all could look around and we can see illustrations and instances of people who gave into negative spirit and critical spirit and how it, ex- how it affected the succeeding generations. Then again, there are tremendous stories. I've had the privilege in the years that I've pastored and been in ministry of interacting with folks who, in spite of terrible difficulties and trials, clung to believing to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and had a profound impact even in the midst of difficult trials. So let us never lose sight of the grace and the sovereignty, the grace of God and His sovereignty and His goodness. Secondly, as I look at Malon or at Elimelech and Naomi, I believe that one of the motivating factors that caused them ultimately to go to Moab 
is that they lost sight of the sufficiency of God's grace. And that's evidenced by pride, by their pride. The times of the judges were characterized by a time when everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. And as you look at the book of Judges, you see that there was some very sordid wickedness that took place in the nation of Israel in that 300-year period of time. Chapter 17 and chapter 19 of Judges in particular demonstrate the idolatry and the immorality that characterized that land and the land of Israel at that time. And as far as we can tell, Elimelech and Naomi would have professed to be believers in Jehovah God. It would have been easy to point the finger and say, look at all those other people who are doing that which is right in their own eyes, and yet even they as professing God-fearers did that which was right in their own eyes. Came to a conclusion through some justification, it's better in Moab than it is in Bethlehem, Judah. They were not as wicked, the wicked apostates that surrounded them, but they were believers who thought, apparently, that they knew better than God. As bad as Bethlehem Judah was, staying in Bethlehem Judah in a time of famine was infinitely better than going to Moab. However they justified it in their minds, we'll only learn later. But the Bible tells us that they sojourned. They said, you know, let's just go down there temporarily. And then the Bible says that they continued there. It was easier to stay a little longer. And then they dwelled there. They were seeking to make a life there. Ask Abraham the consequences of going to Egypt. Ask Lot the consequences of pitching his tent towards Sodom. Ask Samson what happens when you stay long in the valley of Sorek on the border of the land of the Philistines. Ask Demas what happens when you forsake the work of God and love the present world. And so, as we think about the other ability of grace that is initially overlooked here, we see they lost sight of the grace of God and His sovereignty and His goodness that could have kept them from a spirit of negativity and pessimism. They lost sight of the sufficiency of God's grace, gave in to pride, and made the choice to go to Moab. Thirdly, I see this, they lost sight of the grace of God that comes when people humble themselves before them, before Him, and they paid little to no attention to the Word of God. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 32, the Apostle Paul, in speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus said to them, he said, I commend you to the word of his grace. In other words, right here is a repository of the grace of God. And Paul said, I commend you to the grace of God, the word of his grace. It's literally the idea of I set you alongside of the word of God and the grace that it will provide. The key for you and for me is to humble ourselves before the grace of God. What did James promise in James chapter 4 and verses 5 through 8? The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, the scripture says, quoting the book of Proverbs. But he giveth more grace. In other words, whatever the world would promise in all of its deceitfulness, the grace of God is even greater than that. 
Okay. He giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. The importance of humility in our lives and submitting ourselves before the word of his grace. I'm not going to take the time to turn there. But we understand that in this passage of scripture, the land of Israel is in a famine. We're not going to take the time to look at Deuteronomy chapter number 28. But Deuteronomy chapter 28 is the second giving of the law. It is Moses, just before he dies, giving the law in all of its exposition to the second generation of the nation of Israel that had come out of Egypt. And in those final months before he will die and Joshua will succeed him, God has a final task for him, and it's to preach a series of sermons to that generation that survived the wilderness wandering, the 20 and below that have now grown into adulthood. And Moses gives the second giving of the law, preaches this series of sermons to help prepare the children of Israel under Joshua's leadership to go into the promised land. In chapter number 28, he gives a series of blessings and a series of cursings. And essentially this, if you hear what God has said in his law, if you obey God, these are the blessings you'll experience. You'll be blessed in your family. You'll be blessed in your flocks. You'll be blessed in the fruitfulness of the field. You'll be blessed in in your generations that will come from you. You'll be blessed in all. You'll be blessed in every way. But if you do not hearken, and if you disobey, then you're going to suffer, and you're going to experience famine, and war, and loss, and difficulty. Now, for you and for me in the 21st century, uh, we don't know the blessings of God or the judgment of God in the way that the nation of Israel did. The nation of Israel knew that when physical famine came, it was an illustration or a demonstration that they were not right with God. And so the, the key was, if famine came, where did we go wrong? Let's get right with God. That's what it was meant to motivate in them. Deuteronomy 28. And so, folks, understand this. The response of the people of God in a time of famine As they look back on Deuteronomy chapter number 28, the response of God's people should have been, there's famine, the fields are drying up, the flocks are drying, our families are suffering, foes are are seeking to overcome us, overpower us. We're not right with God. Let's find out where it is and get right with God. That should have been the response. But as I look at Elimelech and Naomi... They lost sight of the importance of their humility, humbling themselves before the word of God's grace, and they paid little to no attention to the word of God. Oh, the importance, the vital importance of giving the word of God its place in our lives, in our focus, in our daily walk with him, in our family unit. Uh, Keep your hand here and look briefly at Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter number 2. And we'll come back and look at one final point and conclude. Hebrews chapter number 2. I'm very grateful when I come across passages like this. It's hard to preach some things. It's difficult. I think about Jude saying to those to whom he was writing, Listen, I wanted to write unto you about the common salvation. 
Isn't it wonderful to be saved? And all God's people said, amen. amen. You, you love preaching on that kind of stuff. But Jude said, you know, I came to the understanding that it was more important that I write unto you to earnestly contend for the faith. And the author of Hebrews does a similar thing here. Okay. Therefore, we ought to give chapter two, verse number one. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should what? Let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received the just recompense of reward, he's talking about the giving of the Old Testament law. If men experience consequences when they disobey the Old Testament law like they did, verse number 3, how shall we as New Testament believers, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And he's not talking about the salvation of the soul. I believe he's talking about the, 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 the provision and the process of sanctification in the believer's life. How shall we escape if we neglect, if we're apathetic to God's provision for our growth in Christ, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. Look at chapter 12 and verse number 5 of the book of Hebrews. Chapter 12, verse number 5. author of Hebrews says to these New Testament believers, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. This is interesting. He's about to quote from the Old Testament, but he says the exhortation was spoken unto these first century Jewish believers. It's a testimony of the preservation of God's word, the ongoing authority of the word of God. You've forgotten the exhortation which was spoken unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. He goes on to talk about the importance of the chastening work of God in our lives. Notice verse number 14. What is the fruit of some of this to be, the outcome of this to be? The chastening work of God in our lives. Follow peace with all men. And holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently lest any man, would you say the next phrase with me, fail of the grace of God. He's not talking about losing your salvation. Lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. What's the author talking about? He's saying, listen, when you go through the difficulties of life and it comes to living for Christ, there is grace available and make sure that you don't fail of the grace of God. It's the idea of failing to take advantage of something that is readily available. There is grace available. And my point for us this evening is this. There was grace available for Elimelech and Naomi that would have prevented them from ever going to Moab in the first place. Okay. And that's... Now, they went. They went. And praise God for His grace that when Naomi came back in repentance, look at how God restored her. Okay, We praise God for that. But look at the price that was paid that didn't have to be paid. If they would have availed themselves of the grace of God that was available, they lost sight of the importance of humility before the Word of God and paid little to no attention to the Word of God. And so I, I warn all of us tonight, grace is available through obedience to this book. Avail yourself of it. Okay. Finally, fourthly, they lost sight of the grace of belonging to the people of God by parting ways with God's people. 
They left Bethlehem, Judah. But it's interesting, as you look at our text passage, Elimelech and Naomi left Bethlehem, Judah, but what was the consequence? She would be left and her two sons, and then she would be left of her two sons and her husband. Oh, the price that is paid when people part ways with the people of God. What a believer forfeits when they cut themselves off from the grace of belonging to the fellowship of God's people. We pastors and as a church, the deacons and I have talked about this. I've fellowshiped with other pastors and talking about the consequences of the COVID pandemic on the life of the church. Uh, My smell is still messed up. From COVID in January of 2021. Now, there's one benefit to how my smell has been altered. Skunks do not smell like skunk anymore. I'm glad for that. It smells like uh, burnt caramel. I know it's hilarious to think about. Okay. But I hear people talking about how their taste has been affected. We hear people who've had a a heavier case of COVID talk about the COVID fog when it comes to uh, their uh, thinking, just feeling thick-headed. I had that problem before I had COVID. As we think about the church, generally speaking, the sociological and the ecclesiological effects Boy, if we're not careful, we'll give place to the devil and he will use some of the things that happened during the pandemic to keep God's people apart. Okay. Uh, Roxanne Ribeiro, who was here this morning from Brazil, missionary sent out of our church uh, several months ago, went back to Brazil and spoke at a ladies' conference. They had 400 ladies come together out of 10 different churches at that conference. And she said uh, they had it harder in Brazil than we had it here. And she said there was just this energy to be back together. The author of Hebrews spoke of our not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. What an encouragement it is for us to experience the, the grace of belonging. Boy, we could talk about the benefits that come when we're together with God's people to be encouraged to sing. Hadn't the singing been good today? Singing, gathering together around God's word, the encouragement, the fellowship, even interacting with people and realizing, you know what? Other people have problems just like I do. There's still encouragement that comes. There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. And so they lost sight of the grace of belonging and what a price they paid by going to Moab. Moab. The incestuous son of Lot. And notice how it happened just gradually. The devil is so deceptive. He's like, you know, just just come and sojourn a little bit. You don't have to stay a long time. Lot, just, just pitch your tent towards Sodom. You don't have to live in Sodom. Just pitch your tent toward it. I'd rather live in a famine in Bethlehem, Judah than in the prosperity of Moab out of the will of God. Now, let me bring this around, okay, to a positive note. (laughs) I'm struck by the kindness 
of Boaz. As we think about the fact that Elimelech and Naomi could have and should have availed themselves of grace that was available, but they didn't. They paid a price for it. Praise God for the grace, the abundant grace, the the pound of grace that cured Naomi. We praise God for it. But the ounce of grace could have prevented some great heartache. But I think about the kindness of Boaz, and really this is a lesson to us too. When somebody strays, when a Naomi in our midst goes to Moab, we need to be like Boaz and the fellow Bethlehemites when they come home. I'm struck by the kindness of Boaz. I'm struck by the kindness of the fellow Bethlehemites. Yeah, you bailed on us. You didn't hear that, did you? No. Is this Naomi pleasantness? Who was it that had the negative perspective? Is Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. He's dealt with me very bitterly. But look at how these people worked in kindness and forgiveness to receive Naomi back. Chronologically, As I look at what took place in Judges 17 and Judges 19 as it relates to the city of Bethlehem, Judah. I don't get the impression as I read the book of Ruth that Bethlehem, Judah was in the same shape it was in Boaz's day that it was in chapter 17 and 19 of the book of Judges. The indication is this, is that Boaz and others who had stayed put and had worked through all that surrounded the famine and the judgment of God had gotten right with God and had turned the tide in the town of Bethlehem, Judah. Those who'd stayed had been instrumental in repentance that brought about restoration that would lead ultimately to Naomi's coming home. Now, obviously, in a sense, as we talk about grace that would have been available for Elimelech and Naomi and Malon and Kilion before they ever went to Moab, as we talk about grace from that perspective that they did not avail themselves up, in a sense, we're dealing with hypothetical. But I ask you, what if they'd stayed? We'll never know this side of heaven. However, based on the character of God, the character of Boaz, and other passages of the Bible, it leaves me with no doubt that grace would have been just abundant for them before they left as it was when they came home, when she came home. The lesson is, look at what grace can do. Look at what grace can do. Grace is there for prevention. Young people, grace is there for prevention just as much is it is there for restoration. And so let us determine that we're going to avail ourselves of the grace of God, even when the going gets tough, and determine we're not going to Moab. We're not going to Moab. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. I thank you for the restorative power of grace. But I'm also grateful to you, Lord, for the preventative power of grace. And I pray that wherever we are in life tonight, I think about young people that are here. I think about adults. 
Grandparents, I pray that each of us would determine that we are going to avail ourselves of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness get a hold in our lives. And others, many are defiled. We do not want that to happen. And we thank you for the sufficiency of your grace. We thank you for the availability of your grace that will carry us even through a time of famine, so to speak. So that we can give a testimony of the abundance of your grace in our lives. God, I pray in particular tonight as we conclude, I pray for all the young people of this church. From a human perspective, their lives laid out before them. And I pray that they would determine tonight that they are going to avail themselves of the grace of God. And that the grace of God which saved them early and has to this point kept them from the ravages of the sinfulness of this old world. I pray, God, that that they would determine that they're going to continue to walk in that grace and not look to other sources of deceitful provision, the allurements, the lusts of this world. And they're going to determine by the grace of God never to go to Moab, never to go to the far country, never to pitch their tent towards Sodom. Lord, would you help all of us with these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.